Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones their hearts and understand that I will love them. I will love them while I still can. Welcome, everyone, to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and it's a brilliant day here in Minnesota. I don't know what the weather's like where you are, but I know we're preparing for fall already. Um, so today we're going to just have an absolutely um, very exciting, exciting show, and one of my all-time favorites is going to be with us, Mr. Max Wallach, who has written with his co, uh, co-author, Carolyn Given, uh, just a brilliant book that's going to help families around the world with their struggles with dementia. But before we get into that for the first half of our show, because we always get new listeners, I want to share with you a little bit about um, what Alzheimer's Speaks is about and why it was created. And bottom line, my mom has been struggling with memory loss and dementia for 30 years, so more than half of my life. I've been learning how to cope with this disease and how to live with it um, in a dignified and um, joyful manner. And so I developed Alzheimer's Speaks, which is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we do that by joining forces with all of you, those living with dementia, those caring personally for their loved ones, as well as professionals and advocates, um, authors, um, artists, from musicians and film directors to the researchers. Everybody's voice, I feel, needs to be heard. And by doing that and by having these open conversations, I firmly believe we are going to be able to remove the fear and the stigma and isolation that is so crippling to people with this disease. Um, I know that we're making a difference, and I, I know that because we were honored by ShareCare and Dr. Oz as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's, and that in no way reflects what uh, me. That reflects all of you and the power of one joining together by your clicks and by your likes and by your shares of the radio show and the blog and the website and the YouTube channels, and the Dementia Chat webinars, and all of our Facebook pages, all of those small little clicks matter. Because what you're doing is you are sharing the knowledge that you gain with others in need, which allows them to then share it as well. And so I encourage you to continue to do that, because with this simple mode, we are making a really strong grassroots effort to come together and really give people hope. Um, I just don't think that we can drive people with fear any longer. Now, on today's show, 
you can participate in the conversation, and we would love for you to do that. All you have to do is um, utilize your chat box, and with that, you can go ahead and, um, you know, type in a question or a comment at any time, and I will be reviewing those, you know, throughout the show. Or you can always call in live to the show as well, and that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. Now, before I do our introductions, I always just like to give a couple of shout-outs to some different organizations. And one, of course, I um, am extremely tied to is the Alzheimer's Disease International. And I, I just feel a close tie with them on multiple levels just because they are the organization of organizations around the world. So if you're looking for, you know, help and support um, and information, you can go to Alzheimer's Disease International or www alz.co.uk, and you'll be able to find what's close in your area. Or maybe you need another organization needs to be developed, and you can you can be part of that. Music First with Coral Health. Of course, I, I'm a firm believer that music is extremely powerful for all of us throughout our life, and it can be utilized very well um, with dementia as well. They have a wonderful app called Music First that's portable, um, but they, uh, they are something I think you should check into if you haven't already. And they are just at www.corohealth.com, Coral Health. And then, of course, for people looking for a study, there's a Tau study being done by Alzheimer's Studies. And you can just go to alzheimerstudies.com or you can find them on um, my website as well by going to the sponsorship page. And then the Lewy Body Association. You know, Lewy Body is a little bit different form of dementia, and there's some specialties that go with that. So um, you can always go to lbda.org, lbda.org, and uh, the Frontal Temporal Lobe Association is going to be joining us as well, and I'll be getting their information up on the site. And I would be amiss if I didn't mention the Purple Angel Project, which Norms McNamara has launched and is now the global symbol for dementia. Um, I really encourage people to be part of that um, awareness. It's a real respectful thing. And one of the problems I think we're going to have is if everybody decides to make up their own symbol, it's just confusing for the public. And we need a consistent symbol globally because, um, you know, we, we deal with people around the world all the time. People just don't live in one little town anymore. So for organizations out there that are listening, I, I hope you really take that to heart. Um, join the Purple Angel. Be part of that global global push. Um, and then differentiate yourself in a, in a different fashion. But make it easy for the public and, and for your staff um, to know what the sign is for dementia. I would love to um, introduce you now to uh, Max Wallach. He is an absolutely incredible kid. And I, I shouldn't say kid. He's 
17 years old, and he's a junior at Boston University, as well as a researcher in uh, molecule uh, psychiatry and aging laboratory at the Boston University of Medicine. He was a caregiver for his great-grandmother, who also had uh, dementia. And in 2008, this man founded Puzzles to Remember Organization, which is a 501c3, which means it's a charity organization. And that organization has supplied over 23,000 puzzles to Alzheimer's facilities around the world. Max is a member of the American Association for Geriatric Psychiatry. He gives research presentations at national conferences and has been published in respected journals in his in the field of Alzheimer's. He's received too many awards to even start to rattle off right now. Um, and he is, of course, the author and co-author of this wonderful new book that just came out called Why Did My Grandma or Why Did Grandma Put Her Underwear in the Refrigerator? Welcome, Max. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm thrilled to death to have you on the show today because I, I just I adore and I have just been um, an admirer of all you have accomplished um, in such a short period of time and at such a young age. And so it's it's quite an honor to be able to to speak to you and have you um, on our show here today. Let me go ahead and introduce your co-author, Carolyn Gibbon. Carolyn is an experienced caregiver herself. Um, She also is an acclaimed middle and high school educator with a particular interest in intergenerational programming. Prior to her teaching career, she served in her town's uh, uh, Council on Aging as the director and later became a cover story writer and editor for the Senior Advocate, which is now called the 50-plus Advocate Newspaper, which is a Massachusetts-based mature market publication. Most recently, um, she was the recipient of an award for the Soul Making Keats Literary Competition sponsored by the National League of American Panel Women. Her first-person humor essay can be found at Carolyn Given Lighter dot blogspot.com. And through her caregiving roles, Carolyn can relate to many frustrations of the healthcare system and communicating with providers adequately and and sadly, um, it seems kind of universal regarding a person's diagnosis. So welcome Carolyn. Well, thank you very much, Lori, and, and thank you for all that you do. It's it's very, very important and empowering to be able to give voice to so many people um, affected by this disease. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're with us here. We've got one more to introduce, and then we can kind of roll into some of our questions here. Emma okay. Richmond's father um, passed away from Alzheimer's disease, and her mother is in the early stages of the disease, so she's she's in the in the trenches with it. She also has a six-year-old daughter who is a caregiver to um, her mother, um, along with her husband, and she has worked as a teacher with gifted and talented um, kids. How are you doing today, Emma? Thank you. 
I'm so happy to be here. Well, it's gonna it'll be a fun show because this is just such a cool project that you you all worked on together. Um, Max, I'm gonna just throw this question out to you first. And can you tell me why you pulled in Carolyn and how Emma also fits into the book? Um, so basically, Mrs. Given was my middle and high school English teacher, and we developed a really close friendship. Um, and when I really decided that I wanted to write a book explaining Alzheimer's to children, I thought that she would be one of the first people I, I she would be like the per, the best person to write it with because she she has gone through this caregiving role, but also like she's she's funny and she's she's talented with words and like she's really good at explaining things to people. And and it's and she's also she's never really dark. She's always happy and 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 just bouncing off the walls. <laughs> <laughs> and how and how about Emma? How does she fit into all this? Um, so I've known her since I started writing on the Alzheimer's reading room. Um and like we had a we have a really close friendship and some of like the events in the book are kind of inspired by her her experiences. Okay. With her and her daughter? Yes. Okay. Great. Great. And then um, I think what we're going to do is is talk a little bit more, and again, I'm going to throw this one back to Max initially, but, you know, I, I know I'm assuming that you became interested in writing due to your great-grandma. Can you give us a, a little more insight as to you know, I mean, you've jumped in with both feet and your whole body um, into going into research, um, doing, a, you know, a charitable organization, writing a book. I mean, you are an extreme advocate at a very young age. So what what got you there? How did you land in that space? Um, I've always believed if you have the ability to help others, you have the responsibility to do so. Um, and... I've always really wanted to help other people. And my great-grandmother was kind of, at least when I was very young, like another mother to me. And then mm-hmm. when, she, when she, in her, the later stages of her disease, she was more like a, a sibling. And so we were very, very close. And so when I visited her in like nursing homes and in hospitals, I saw her and other patients doing jigsaw puzzles. And they were calmer and less agitated. So a few years after her death, I realized that I wanted to really help these people, so I researched this and I saw that it can help, like, doing cognitive activities can help um, lengthen the time that an Alzheimer's patient remains functional society. So I decided to start collecting jigsaw puzzles and distributing them to hospitals and nursing homes and memory cafes around the world. And so that's kind of where everything started, and, and since then I really, I've really discovered that this is my calling, and I've started doing research and I've written a book, and everything's followed from there. Okay, great. Now, now, Emma, can you give us a little more insight as to your journey with dementia? I know you, um, I had noted both your parents um, have been diagnosed with the disease. 
That is correct. Um, my mother did not have the disease in 2008, but my father did pass away from the disease then, and um, I was always turning to the Alzheimer's Reading Room, which is a fantastic um, support group online. And one day Bob DeMarco, um, the leader of the website, um, posted information about Max Wallach and Puzzles to Remember, and I decided a good way to get out of the loss, you know, the depression from the loss of my father would be to give back and to help. Um, like Max says, to those much has been given, much is expected. And um, I wanted to get involved in donating puzzles, especially to um, the veterans' home where my father was uh, located at the end of his life. Okay, wonderful. And, and Carolyn, have you been personally touched by dementia at all in your family or friends? No, uh, not specifically um, until very recently, and it's so um, interesting that you should ask because I, I, within the past weeks, had been contacted by someone who's exactly my age who was newly diagnosed, and we're not that terribly old. We're in our mid-50s, um, but she had been diagnosed as a, a young Alzheimer's patient, and <laughs> ironically, she contacted me um, to help her with her parents. She was struggling with her own diagnosis and a potential clinical trial that she was doing all the consent forms for at the same time that her father had just been released from the hospital with uh, pneumonia and, and a recent diagnosis of dementia, and her mother was also displaying symptoms of dementia. So uh, having known that years ago in my town I had worked for the Council on Aging as, as their director where my role was largely to refer patients out to a variety of resources, uh, she thought she may be able to, that I may be able to help her. Um, and coincidentally, as it turned out, that day was the day that our book arrived. Um, I got my sample copies that very day. So I took a copy over to my friend and... Um, what a joy to be able to watch them actually read through this book together as a family. All three of them huddled over this little, you know, purple paperback, fascinated as they turned the pages. Um, so my experience specifically with dementia has, has only recent, recently been that, um, along with years ago being the Council on Aging Director and just referring people out. Um, Caregiving, however, is a kind of universal experience where um, I think the facilities that we work with, hospitals, care providers, uh, can create a giant nebula of, of data and even confusion. So I felt very, very strongly that the opportunity to contribute to Max's book was, was very, very powerful for me, um, even as an adult especially, I think, as an adult, uh, some of the, the conflicts were evident early on in, in both my caregiving experiences for my mother. Uh, over a period of five years, she had two different forms of incurable cancer, and, um, and now my husband has been diagnosed as of a year ago, August, with multiple myeloma. So um, just an interesting experience you should ask about Alzheimer's because my friend was recently diagnosed in her 50s along with two parents with dementia. Uh, but it's, um, I think, not surprising that caregiving is, is, uh, comes with its own frustrations regardless of the diagnosis. 
And I totally agree. And I think, you know, my belief is, is that this disease is here to hit us worldwide and kind of slap us up against the face and, uh, you know, to do things differently. Um, but I think the lessons taught in this disease are so applicable in all areas of our life. And yeah. so it's, it's and, you know, it's interesting that your friend at such a young age was diagnosed because, again, that's one of those myths where it's just old people in wheelchairs, you know, in a catatonic state, which is not true. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, and, and that's, a, that's a big, big piece of this. Um, Max, can you tell us what, you know, did you have like an epiphany one day that just said, I need to write this book, or how did it come to be? So I, I was thinking about writing a book. I've been thinking about writing a book for a long time, and, and the day I asked Mrs. Given to be my co-author, and she said yes, I within two hours of her accepting to be my co-author, I had a draft, and I and I sent <laughs> it to her, and, and over a few months we really worked it out. But it was it was a long there was a long time that it was in my head, and then on, in one day it was just on paper. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and Carolyn, were you surprised that in two hours he had a draft? Oh God, no! <laughs> um, no heavens! Um, when I met Max eight years ago, she was only nine, and in our sixth grade, uh, brand new startup charter school, and and back then, um, whatever Max set his mind to was was pretty much yielded within minutes. <laughs> so. Um, just a, a very industrious and hardworking kid um, and an adult. Um, so from the moment I said I would love to participate uh, and then seeing the turnaround be kind of hours later, <laughs> I was like, well, no, I'm not surprised. Um, and it, it was kind of interesting because he had so many um, ideal um, analogies and explanations. They were, they were elegant and simplistic um, they honored children. It was uh, it was quite lovely. And the the real only thing he needed, which I, I think is, again going back to irony, um, he had originally thought that my humor essays uh, and and being someone that bounces off the walls <laughs> would be able to add some levity to a, an otherwise difficult topic to share with children. Um, that's not what my role ended up being. It was um, it was sort of interesting. I, I received this this. Um, instant manuscript and it it hit me how gifted he is and how talented but it also hit me that this was sort of the paper and pen manifestation of something that really had been rattling in his head for a couple years because as a teacher (laughs) i could see well it needs a story arc it needs a timeline children need to ground themselves on uh you know september is the start of the school year we need to add a couple holidays you know, really seated on a timeline with seasons and, and things and dates that kids could relate to. Um, but anyway, my irony in my part was that I did the, I feel like I did the exact opposite from what Max initially asked for. Um, I noticed that Julie as a protagonist was, was persistently kind of brave and uh, stalwart and, and lovely and, and a very real young character. But as an adult myself, I'd experienced frustrations and and even occasionally anger. So I had suggested to Max that perhaps Julie should have something bad happen where she actually becomes angry. And we tossed the idea around whether it should be, you know, Julie's birthday, 
um, gets sort of ruined or uh, something at school or if it's Halloween. And uh, it fit just nicely that Halloween was a, a perfect time because it fits so well with Alzheimer's patients sort of visually and cognitively misperceiving something they see. So poor little Julie is prepared to enjoy trick-or-treating in her Halloween costume, and unfortunately her grandmother becomes frightened by that, that costume. And so we allow Julie to express her frustration and her anger. Um, but the most important lesson for children reading that is that all caregivers, regardless of age, are going to become angry and frustrated and frightened. And, and anger is really okay, and it's okay to express it in healthful and appropriate ways, as long as we know we're angry at the disease and not at the patient. And uh, I think that was uh, a very powerful part of, of the book. And ironically, I was very angry <laughs> at some of the systems I was going through at the time. So um, it worked out very well that we could tuck that in at that moment because it was a big part of my life then. <laughs> well, good. Now, now, Emma, you have a small child. And yes. um, can you tell us, you know, your thoughts regarding this, this book and, and you know, how did your daughter respond to it? Um, this book has been an incredible tool for my daughter from day one. Um, you know, some of the, um, well, a lot of the um, drawings and illustrations come from some photographs that I had sent to Max um, from time to time with uh, little things that have been going on in our life. And, um, for example, um, my daughter likes to cut my mother's food, her chicken and steak or whatever, and I sent Max a picture of it, and it's actually an illustration in the book. Um, and um, one of the ideas that Max mentions is using a red plate to make the food more uh, visually appealing. And um, we actually had a red plate, that my daughter has, so now we use that when Grandma comes over. And um, some of the incidents with uh, redirecting, for example, the rep repetitive questions that are asked, um, Julie's technique is um, to just simply, in a very calm voice, keep responding to the questions and then mention how much she loves Grandma. And um, Haley has um, done that on her own, but um, now she's a little more aware that this is something that will happen with Alzheimer's patients, and um, she uses that redirecting uh, technique more often. And another incident, which was amazing because it came straight from the book and it happened in our life, is um, we have an elderly cat who doesn't have any teeth. Um, she's no, of no harm to anyone. Um, she jumped on a chair right next to Grandma, and Grandma took her cane and very roughly pushed her off the chair. And uh, Haley was devastated about her beloved cat being pushed off the chair, um, and then I immediately turned to page 19 in the book, and we we reread where it mentions that uh, sometimes Grandma becomes frightened by silly little things. It's because they look different to her. Maybe the little kitten looks like a ferocious lion. So um, the light bulb went off in Haley's head, and uh, she came back um, after crying and everything, and um, she told Grandma, Grandma, I do not want you to hurt Althea with your cane. She is an old cat without any teeth, and she cannot hurt you. She's not a ferocious lion. Don't worry. And she gave Grandma a big <laughs> hug, 
And Grandma was very relieved and said, okay, Haley, and hugged her, and um, all was well. So I think this book was incredible because if it you know, wasn't um, a resource that we could turn to, it may not have been so calmly um, dealt with. I mean, I would have just tried to think on my own quickly how to fix the situation, but the book was so useful. I mean, as an educator, I always use books as a teaching tool. Um, so it was it was a wonderful resource to have at the time. Yeah, it, this is one book of very few um, I, I can count them on one hand that I won't lend out <laughs> to anybody to, because because I know how powerful this is and I want to be able to um, share it with people when I'm speaking. I want to be able to you know physically have it as a resource and, and a reminder um, because things come up all the time. I, you know, the book is extremely simple, um, and I love that about it. It's it's written and, you know, it, it. I know it's a children's book and it's there to help kids, but I think it's going to help a lot of adults slow down and look at things different because I think as parents sometimes we absorb things through the teaching of our children. You know, say as I say as I. Um, say or do as they say, not as I do. <laughs> and you know, as adults, sometimes we're we're not as respectful or um, you know as compassionate, you know, because we're trying to stay on schedules and and we take things very seriously. And I, I think this book just shows us how we can slow down and really be so much more compassionate and efficient. Um, and loving at the same time. So I just think it's done. I just think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, the the stories and the lessons that are told in this book. I think you you've all just done a beautiful, beautiful job with it. Max, what has your um, what is the response then from the public? Are they all like me? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. because I have, I have not heard one negative on this book. I mean, everybody is just, you know, loving it. So yeah, what's it been just like? Last, just last mm-hmm. night, I've been talking with this um, toy store in Singapore who wants to, who has a special um, part of their store for uh, helping the elderly, and they want to purchase 40 books. And Whoa. those are mostly just to give away. Yeah, it seems really amazing. Wonderful. Well, we do have a caller on the line, so let me pull them in. I've got somebody here on a 561 number, 561, you're live, if you want to state your name and your comment or question. Hello, everybody. It's Bob DeMarco. Oh, hi. Hi, Bob. Hi. Uh, I'm listening in, and I just want to start by saying, um, really wonderful, great attitude, really pretty moving to me. Uh, and I say to the writers uh, and all of you, um, like Max, I've been thinking about this problem with children, and we've kind of interacted on it in, on the uh, blog. Mm. Uh, parents, uh, well, you can do the math. You can take the number of persons uh, living with Alzheimer's and then try to figure out how many you know, children there are, grandchildren, and straight down the line. And the numbers are... Um, and for the most part, 
parents really don't have any idea uh, what to do, uh, whether to communicate with their children, whether to tell them. And I don't think uh, any of this is a secret to us right here, uh, Laurie or your guests. But in the world, uh, I continue to meet people. Uh, and this, um, be particularly it seems like with young, younger onset Alzheimer's, where there's young children, uh, kind of a vicious problem. Because um, the parent doesn't know what to do. And every time I've run across somebody who maybe had a six or a nine year old child, and of course, Max was around six and, uh, while he was caring for his great gramps, um, you know, they often turn to their school. And this is where I'm getting to my point. So they'll turn to the school for some help. And every time uh, I've encountered this, where I ask, did you get any help from school? The answer has always been a resounding no. Yep. So it's my belief and my feeling uh, that somehow, some way, uh, this book needs to make it into our schools and primarily into the hands of guidance counselors. They need to have it. Absolutely. In. Yeah, absolutely. Th this is Carolyn again. And in fact, I've spoken to several guidance counselors with whom I've worked over the years and uh, sent them a copy of the book and, and also the press releases and and ask them specifically, is this something that you would find useful, of utility? And, and they just could not uh, express what a poverty of data and support materials uh, currently exist. So that's, that's a huge need, and I'm, I'm so delighted that you brought that up. I think we all know that, um, you know, families certainly assisted living, uh, nursing, but school systems, guidance counselors, uh, physicians certainly, and pastors but as an educator, my heart goes to the guidance counselor end. Yes, and you know, as a classroom... Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Emma. Oh, I was just going to say, as a classroom teacher, there's also a, a poverty of books dealing with dementia. There are zero books around. Yes. So um, as a classroom teacher for the gifted and talented third grade, um, this will be a wonderful, wonderful resource, and I can't wait to read it to my students and have a, a discussion. And especially um, Max um, has an illustration in the book that shows how the nerve synapses send the messages and the contrast between a healthy brain and a diseased brain. Um, he uses the metaphor of um, a, a pitcher and a catcher in uh, baseball, and how the signal goes smoothly in a healthy brain, and how the uh, the pitcher can barely throw the ball and it just lands, and the catcher can't even catch it in an unhealthy nerve. So that will um, definitely spark the interest of the inquisitive oh. minds, and um, it'll tap into a subject that I think all children in all schools and all curriculums should be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. What a great example, too, that Max is a gifted child and what he has done in such a short, I mean, it's just a nice way to introduce, you know, what someone has done. The other thing I think this book could be used for, I mean, I would love to see it in libraries for storytelling time. I think it's something that assisted yeah. livings could actually invite families in and say, we're going to do a storytelling time. Bring your kids and grandchildren. Yeah. And in promote yeah. the book that way, too, because, you know, they struggle with their family councils and interactions, and so I think that, that could be a beautiful, beautiful way. But um, And same with employee assistance programs. This would be a great resource for them. I mean, it's, it's endless. So 
If you're out yes. there in the business community listening, you know, go buy this book. Um, stock up. Get this on your your websites as a resource. It is it is absolutely incredible, and it has lessons for all of us. Even though it's written it's as actually, a children's book, it has lessons. There's one assistant mm-hmm. oh, living facility that actually has received 37 copies of it, and every single person living there has a copy. That's oh, wonderful. That's very wonderful. Nice. Very, yeah. very and, You know, I don't think that back when Max was doing market research prior to um, uh, launching even the concept of the first manuscript, uh, he really saturated himself with as many books that he could possibly find that were out there. This book is truly unique. Um, it yes. truly is. I, I researched adult books and, and children's books right alongside him, and um, this is just so incredibly powerful. You know, even the illustrations, um, and I'm, I don't know if Max's family will be horrified that I'm going to publicly divulge the secret. <laughs> is it okay if I divulge the secret, Max? Oh, what? what? Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. So, um, early on, we had talked about what kind of illustrator to either involve or hire or consult with, and we just couldn't really settle together on somebody that um, that really heard what Max's concepts were. And um, as it turns out, he decided that you know his own family was probably the best resource. They had all been a part of his entire experience growing up from age you know five. Uh, through nine, ten, um, while his grandmother was with them, and he explained beautifully to them the visuals that he could see in his mind. And I think they, as sort of an almost factory assembly line family team, set out to sketch. Someone else would color in, somebody else would add shading, um, and that's how the um, the illustrations came about. Uh, none of them wanted any any credit for the book, which I think is too bad because yes. the illustrations are absolutely brilliant. But that's okay. another feature of this that's so unique. This is a whole family project, uh, and it's very moving to me to see that mm-hmm. uh, that these very yeah. powerful images are, are a part of, of Max um, and the love that his family shares as well. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely wonderful. And I want to thank Bob and DeMarco with the Alzheimer's Reading Room for calling in and um, and bringing that point up because it's so, so valid. And um, for those of you that aren't familiar with the Alzheimer's Reading Room, you definitely have to check it out. It's a wonderful, wonderful resource filled with uh, just a ton of great information, wonderful interaction for people. Um Let's go to um, another another question here because we're we're down to twenty minutes already. Um, time is just kind of kind of flying here. Um, I'd like to get from each of you. What is your favorite? Because there's what's your favorite lesson in the book? And um, Carolyn, I'm going to let you go first, and then Emma, and then Max. I think you know. <laughs> It's got to be about clinical trials and the positive look to the future, uh, the hope that one day it will be either curable or much more manageable, that through clinical trials and research, such as Max himself has grown into becoming, uh, is going to one day yield something better than what's going on now. Um, 
even though Max had planned on, I think, including the uh, clinical trial for Julie's grandma inside his book, um, at the time my husband and I were investigating a, a clinical trial option, and and I know it was unrelated, but I couldn't help feel a connection because the amount of hope that we felt uh, and the amount of hope that I think Alzheimer's patients and families should feel about things right around the corner. Well, the work that Max is, is um, investigating is evidence that I think there are clear pieces of data out there indicating this is there are game changers afoot. <laughs> so to me, mm-hmm. the best part of the book is, is how it ends in a, in a very hopeful way for the future. Okay, wonderful. And and Emma, do you have a favorite story in the book? It's so difficult to choose because there are so many different uh areas that are I'm I'm very very in love with. Um I mean the ending, well towards the end where uh Julie has hope because I think hope is what gets us through the day. Um how she has hope of uh growing up and being a scientist and feeling that she could be proactive in researching a cure or treatment or something, and it, it gives you strength to know that you could do something about it. Um, and that that scene that I mentioned before about the repetition, because I think a lot of caregivers go through that quite a bit of losing their patients, and um, they just simply don't know that that just telling someone you love them could stop Mm -hmm. that need because, you know, we can analyze over and over again why they repeat. Um, There are many reasons for it, and redirection is such a simple technique, and everyone can use it. Right. How about you, Max? Do you have a favorite? Um, So I think both of you took my favorite uh, lessons away, but I also really think that there might be a lot of kids who think that... um, it's somehow their fault or somehow they're responsible for some of it, and I'm trying to show that they're not responsible for it and that they shouldn't mm-hmm. blame themselves for what's happening. And, yeah. and it's not like because they did something, it's because this other person did something wrong with their brain. It's not, it's not even that the other person is doing something like consciously on purpose. It's, it's, some, it's the, right. the disease is doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, I want to make sure that we have um, time to talk a little bit, um, Max, about your puzzles to remember and how how would people get involved with you if they wanted to donate or if they were in need of puzzles? What what should they do? Um, they can contact me by email, and my email is basically puzzlestrember at gmail.com. It's on the bottom of my website. Um, you can just contact me and like usually what I do now is not as much like physical pickups and drop offs. I do a lot of like talent of, of coordinating where other people can bring their puzzles. Um and then okay. there's also a lot of, of Springbox puzzles that really have really been able to help a lot of people which are specifically designed for people with Alzheimer's dementia. Okay. So you do both um like recycled puzzles and then new puzzles, is that correct? Yes. Okay, okay, wonderful. Yeah, because it, it's nice to know. I remember my daughter when she was like five coloring with, with her grandma, and I didn't know who was having more fun or who was more proud of their pictures, you know, and they were just so content and so happy. It was it was just really fun, fun to see. So 
I'm sure the puzzles do the same thing. How about your research? Can you share with us where things are at with research? Um, so we're doing a, a few different things. We're looking a little bit about like male-female differences in like the development and prognosis of Alzheimer's. Um, I'm we we just recently got a paper accepted talking about ACE inhibitors and their varying abilities based on uh, ApoE4 genotype or ApoE genotype. And then we're also we're, what we're really working on right now is using a natural hormone and a synthetic analog and giving that to people both as to as a test for Alzheimer's in in the MCI stage and as a treatment for people in both the MCI and AD stage. Okay. And, it, and it's at least in mice for the we've, we've tested the test in people and it looks really good and and it looks really good for the treatment in mice too. And we're, we we want to start doing a clinical trial in people for the treatment too and, and it really seems like it can really show it can basically take it out of the brain and take it out of the body. Okay. Okay. Can you explain to people what MCI is? Because not, not all listeners probably know. So it's just mild cognitive impairment. So it's kind of like the stage where you have some memory difficulties, but you don't have, like, Alzheimer's yet. Um, you might just, you kind of have a few, like, things that you think are somehow a little bit different from what you used to have, but are but are not like necessarily Alzheimer's, and you don't have anything. You don't have any cognitive deficits. You might just think that you're thinking a little bit differently. Um, and only about half of everyone who's diagnosed or who is in the MCI stage will progress to Alzheimer's disease. Okay. So that's a, that's a big relief for many. Um, people get so confused with all the terms. And, uh, you know, and, and for me, I, I kind of come from a personal state where it, it I'm not as concerned about the terms as I am as getting people the support they need for the symptoms that they're having um, or the struggles that they're dealing with. I, because I think, I think, like Carolyn said, there's so many overlaps when it comes to giving care. And I just think, you know, what you are doing is just, just amazing. Now, do you have any um, uh, any thoughts of writing a second book? What um, a funny question. I actually had a dream last night that that was going to be a question. And I, I woke up <laughs> laughing like, oh, it's too early. No one will ever think of asking about a sequel. So, <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> okay, so, so she's on board. Are you back? <laughs> I, I think eventually I will write another book, yes. <laughs> um, that is too funny, too funny. Do you have um, anything in mind, uh, Carolyn, in, in terms of uh, of what this book would look like? Or? Well, in my dream, <laughs> I was thinking about Julie and um, how in the future, I mean, we've ended this book where Julie is probably finishing first grade, second grade, and uh, her grandma has entered a, a clinical trial. I think a follow-up of that clinical trial um, might be a nice way to to sort of take a look back and see what's happening as Julie goes into 
uh, grades three or four or five, so that perhaps the next book could extend to a, a, a different cohort, a different age level. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's where I was at with that. Because I think um, Max has been very, very generous about explaining to me some of his research work with mice, which I could never explain. I, I listen and I kind of understand, but there really are some promising things going on uh, in his laboratory. And it could be that um, perhaps next year he might be able to fold some of that data into a book. Um, I think by then some of it may be published. And so we can even share how children can feel free to um, avail themselves of research. I mean, I, even though it's, it's very high level and hard for kids to understand, the data is out there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so um, being able to sort of connect Grandma's progress with a potential clinical trial, you know, it may not cure her, but it may arrest some of the progression. And, um, and that can give families hope. So that, that was what my dream was about. But again, that was all my subconscious. So I, I don't, haven't thought enough about it awake. <laughs> I think that's a really okay. good idea. <laughs> Thank you, Max. Just sharing it now live. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, once you say it, it kind of takes on a life of its own. Um, I, I, I would love to see a series. I mean, I remember and I kind of giggle now because my great aunt had dementia. And when I was 13 years old, um, I went to the nursing home one day with my mom and my brother, and she knew both of them and not me. And I was yeah. devastated. I was sure. absolutely devastated. And I was, the, I, you know, I felt like I was the closest one to her. And mm-hmm. here, you know, I must have done something wrong. And nobody, nobody could explain what happened to me it was just that's what happens when you get old and i remember i remember crying for two weeks just i was so sad i'm not understanding and, and i remember saying to myself i don't ever i don't ever want anyone to feel that kind of pain and that mm-hmm. kind of rejection because that's what i felt i felt that she was rejecting me i had no i, I just it wasn't explained to me in terms of a true disease or how I could deal with it. I mean, it wasn't. It was just kind of an end of life type thing. And, right. Um, and that's and, such a critical know, age. My goodness, thirteen is is just that's very horrifying, and that lasts a lifetime. That experience. Yeah. So if there's anything that we could do in a sequel to be able to right. explain those circumstances. <laughs> I think would be I think would be marvelous. Why, I think that's one of the reasons why I tried to write the book to explain to children that it's it's really not anyone's fault; it's the disease's fault. Right. Right. Yeah. I I remember Max telling me um, maybe years ago or or re- I can't remember, um, but he he had shared that uh, he was one of the few people that his great grandmother consistently knew. Um, and that was truly a blessing for Max, and, and I think gave him a great deal of, of um, a sense of control and, and some empowerment in that process. Um, but that's another example of how idiosyncratic, you know, how unexpected and inexplicable some of these experiences can be, and especially for children. And certainly it is not their fault or within their control. Well, you know, As I Julie, go in oh. Here. Oh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, as Julie's mom, in quotations, um, I would love to see the book continue and see what happens 
to this um, young girl as she grows up and how she's faced with more challenges that might be more like teenager-like. And, mm, yeah. um, and as you had mentioned, the publishing of possible some of the, the information and um, just seeing where this, this young girl grows up and where, she, where it leads her and her grandmother. So, exactly. Yeah. I, I like think even publishing some um, some URLs, different different resources that kids can avail themselves of that are that are sound and reputable. But I think that that so it becomes more of a a factual resource as well for the future of those of those readers and their parents. Yeah. Well, you know, I go into the schools. Or I used to. I, I don't do it so much anymore. But um, I used to go in and speak about Alzheimer's disease. It kind of started out with aging and illness, and then it rolled into Alzheimer's disease. And I would take, like, two, we'd join two classes together for a two-hour session. And it's very, very powerful stuff. And it was amazing how many families were affected by this. But the kids, and these were high school kids, um, were not told what was going on. Yet their whole life was was turned upside down because mm-hmm. family schedules and priorities had changed, and they felt really outed, you know, sure. as a as a, a member of the family, and they felt really angry that they weren't informed and they couldn't help and they wanted to and they wanted you know, they, to. Yep. Yeah. And and they that's, might have been, well, you watch grandma, but that's all that was told and they knew mm-hmm. that there was much more that they could do in different ways if they were let in. But parents were trying to protect them yeah. instead of looking at this as a natural, you know, kind of life lesson that mm-hmm. you know, everyone's dealing with. And so some of the schools now, um, some of the kids have said we want a support group and they've approached their school districts and some of the school districts when they've been, uh, some of the schools have said no, and uh, a couple of the kids have gone over and above up to the school district saying, this is a need. You know, you've got a group for the gay and lesbian. You've got a group for this. You've got a group for that. I want a group that's dealing with this. And um, so it's kind of interesting to see the kids take a stand and say, that's not fair. We need help, too. Exactly. Maybe one of the reasons. I mean, one of the reasons why, like, I've been able to start doing these things at a, at a young age is because my parents always shared with me what was going on with my great grandmother. They never really hid anything from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's very, very important. Yeah. yeah. Very, very important. That's for sure. That's for sure. Well, and that and, brings um, up another point as to why this particular book and its perspective is so unique. There aren't that many young children who imprinted at such a young age um, on that whole experience where they were brought in and where things were explained to them. So, um, yeah, it makes the book all the more useful and and precious. Exactly, exactly. And it's, you know, like I said, you have just done it in such a a beautiful, real-life, I love that, you, you know, you share all the emotions. You had mentioned about emotions. You know, they're not good, they're not bad, they just are. You know, mm-hmm. it's our reaction to them. So let's let's talk about the emotions um, because they're real and that's where we get stuck a lot of times. And uh, we need to have, I think it's just so critical to have these conversations and to to not be stigmatized by them, not to think, not to ignore it or not to be ashamed of it. Um, you know, we shouldn't be ashamed of dealing with a medical condition. 
Not at all. And, and we shouldn't be ashamed to have our reactions and feelings. We're, we're human. Um, in many ways, we're dealing with grief. You know, we're grieving over the loss of something that once was and trying to adapt to this new way of living. Um, just yesterday, I discovered that uh, a lot of health insurance plans provide case management for incurable diseases or complex diseases. And here I had been this caregiver for my mother for five years and one for my husband for a year and only just now learned <laughs> that I could have had case management support all this time. So I, I'm not certain how it works with Medicare, Medicaid, um, but these are resources that I'm embarrassed to say I, I didn't know could have helped me years ago. Um, so uh, being able to kind of be brave and look things up and trying, trying to find uh, those resources <clears throat> when you're very frustrated or fragile or vulnerable, um, that's really what prompted me to um, go forward and, and seek more support. And lo and behold, it was there. So these emotions play a very vital role. If we listen carefully to them and respond to them, um, I think they're, they can be very helpful, but they certainly are real. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. Max, can you tell us um, in wrapping up, what are your future goals? I want to become a geriatric psychiatrist, and I want to continue doing research. I want to interact with patients and their caregivers, um, but also still keep doing research. Um, I feel like really there's a lot there's a lot of focus on, on patients with Alzheimer's and there's not as much focus on caregivers and I think that really helping caregivers is a really and supporting caregivers is really important. And I feel like also just combating this disease from various fronts is really important. I agree. I would like to see more money going into caregiver support um, and, and studies I, I, because you know, if the caregivers aren't strong um, and if they don't have the support they need, you know, it impacts, it just impacts everything. Mm -hmm. And and like like Carolyn said, you know, there's resources out here. Nobody tells us about them. <laughs> so um, they sit down and they have consultations for diabetes or if you're overweight and they do the one-on-one -on -one counseling, and that should just be a given with this exactly. At this point, and you know, if it's done in a, in a you know, partially in a group and, and partially, you know, in an individual place, I mean, I think there's different ways to work this, but there's there's so much help out there, and I know for me in my 30 year journey, I didn't even know what questions to ask, you know, mm -hmm. just like you were saying, and so that's one of the reasons, you know, I formulated Alzheimer's Speaks and have built the resource directory is to help people share information, you know, what is the certain words and work collaboratively together. This, this is just too big for any of us to tackle alone. Certainly. So I love, love the collaboration that you guys have done on the book um, and, and just the way, I mean, it's, you know, we've got three of you on, on the line here with us uh, on the show, but there were so many others that were part of the process, and I just think that that's beautiful, and it and it's reflective in the book in and of itself. Emma, is there any anything else that you would like to say in wrapping up? Um, just to give a quick example, the two neighborhood uh, girls who live right next door to us um, 
heard the book as well, and they were able to understand um, my mother when she comes over, which is frequent, and um, when they are visiting as well, if grandma is behaving a certain way, they clearly understand what's going on, and they're actually incorporating some of the techniques as well. So that's why this book carries over not just to children that have a loved one, but just all children should be tolerant of people that are different and to understand. And now these two girls, one's five and one's eight, they understand what's going on. Haley's grandma has AZ, and they're understanding what's involved and how to help the situation when they're here. Well, and I think the beauty of kids is that they're so accepting. You know, they're just, I remember when my daughter was in school and the teacher's like, you know, she's just so helpful. You know, she's just, someone's in a wheelchair or someone's disabled or someone's struggling. And I'm like, she doesn't see what we see. Mm-hmm. You know, she she just sees another person that needs help that's a little bit different, but it's no, it's just no big deal. Right. And, and and then we destroy that. <laughs> get older, you know, we create all this judgment and, and these blocks, and, and, um, and I think, that, again, I think the book does a beautiful job of, of breaking that down. Um, how about you, Carolyn? Anything else you'd like to say? I know you guys all have timelines, and um, our hour is up here. Uh, I can talk to you guys all day because I think it's just a fascinating, fascinating work that, you're, that you've done. Well, we're very proud of the book, certainly, and, and uh, really look forward to it being uh, in the hands of as many different uh, people, facilities, resources as possible because I think it's it's that useful. And uh, I think my takeaway from today is I may just go off and, and start thinking about a sequel. <laughs> I think you already are. <laughs> I think I already am, yeah. But thank yeah. you so much for your radio show. I, I just can't thank express adequately how pleased I am that uh, you give us all voice because it's so important. It's so important to not feel abandoned, isolated, alone, that all of us are here working together and there are so many beautiful resources where we can support each other and this book is certainly one. I just want to say thank you, Lori and Carolyn and Emma and Bob and Carol Larkin on what you've done for me in my life. (laughs) Likewise. Absolutely likewise. More than welcome. you are just one amazing individual, and you are just this huge bright light that we are just all so gifted to know. And um, so you're doing amazing work. Agreed. Thank you very much. Thank you, Max, as well. <laughs> and Emma, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> Thank okay. you so much again for having me here. Well, great. And for those of you... Um, you know, check out this book. Um, the title, again, is Why Did Grandma Put Her Underwear in the Refrigerator? And you can just Google that, um, or you can Google Max Wallach, W-A-L-L-A-C-K, or Carolyn Gibbon, and uh, you'll be able to find that book very, very easily. I know it's it's up there in on the Amazon list. It looked like it was doing real, really good, so I'm, I'm excited about that, and, and hopefully this will give it a, a little more boost and more people will spread the word of, of the value of the book and, and the multiple ways that it can be used. Um, Absolutely. It's, so, um, and then if you're interested in getting a hold of Max, 
uh, just go to puzzles, uh, or you can email him at puzzles to remember at gmail.com, or he's on Facebook as well. Thank you all for being with the show. I really uh, greatly appreciate your time with us today. Thank, Thank you. you. Our pleasure. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, bye now. Bye-bye. Um, bye. For um, our kind of midway break here, I just want to highlight a few things. I'm still waiting for my next guest to call in. Um, but I wanted to point out our last radio show was with Us Against Alzheimer's, and we talked about all the variable networks that they have and that you might want to take part in. There is an activist group. There's a research group. There's a women's network. Um, they're uh, going to be rolling out a Hispanic and a, an a, um, African-American uh, network as well. And they are just doing some really wonderful, wonderful things. And if you feel like you're an advocate and have a voice or want to become one, uh, you're going to want to connect with them because the information that they push out is incredible. They're just a, a fantastic resource. They are very much polit um, connected politically, and they make it very simple for us to pass it on to our audiences. It's kind of a one-click thing. And they are driven to find a cure <clears throat> for this disease. So that show was just August 6th. Our next show coming up will be on the 20th. And for that show, I'm going to be interviewing an attorney. And we're also, for the second half of the show, we're going to be talking about daycare, um, what that entails and what you can expect um, with that and, and how it can work differently uh, for models. Yesterday, we had our dementia chat, and our featured expert living with dementia was Harry Urban. And Harry talked um, in depth about friends and family and their importance in terms of relationships. Uh, and, of course, the audience chimed in as well. They're, they're always just a great, great conversation. And those you can find on the blog or on the website. All of, all of the sessions are recorded. I just got some lovely notes about the conversation that we had again yesterday on that. And our next Dementia Chats, again, these are free webinars, will be August 27th. And that will be at its regular time, which is 3 p.m. Eastern Time or um, 10 a.m. I'm sorry, 3 p.m. Um, Eastern Time or 2 p.m. Central, and that's noon Pacific Time. On the blog, there are a few um, articles that I just wanted to point out. Carol Larkin, who Max Wallach had mentioned, uh, did just a really nice article talking about what's the difference between dementia and delirium, and people get that confused all the time. I also posted a video that was done by CNN World, um, The Untold Stories, and that's about the dementia village. There was another one I had posted earlier. This one just takes a look at it from a little different angle, breaks it down, I think, in a um, more practical fashion um, to look at. And, uh, of course, there are several, several other articles out there as well. Um, I was interviewed by Encore Living yesterday, and then also um, Dr. Gordon Atherley uh, with uh, the Caregivers Unite program. And so I'll be pushing those interviews out. Michael Ellenbogen also uh, was with me on the interview yesterday with, with Dr. 
Dr. Gordon uh, Atherley. And he's got, he's up in Canada and just does a great, great show with that. I'm not sure if my second guest is going to be able to make it today or not. So um, I'll give him a few more minutes. And if not, we'll just wrap the show up early and we'll have a James Creasy on another time. But hopefully he'll be able to make it. For those of you that aren't familiar with James, James is a, how, how do I say, a passionate individual who has done amazing things over the past uh, few years. His dad was afflicted with dementia. And about five years ago, on a summer vacation, uh, he discovered a new connection, a new way to make a connection with his father. And that was by playing croquet. Just a simple, simple game. Um, put smiles on his dad, whose name is Maxwell's face. And it kind of broke the silence and the confusion of the disease. And so the family um, decided to make that an active part of uh, their way to enjoy what they call their papa. And since then, James has been running a weekly croquet program for the Alzheimer's Association in Denver, Colorado. And he founded a company called Jiminy Wicket. And that is spelled J-I-M-I-N-Y and then Wicket, W-I-C-K-E-T. And it's all about making smiles for people living with dementia. And a year ago, he created a program called Through Hoops to Hope. Uh, He just has a very, very positive outlook um, on life in general and um, everything that is is going on with this. Uh, Just an incredible man. He actually flew up to Minnesota to set up... uh, our memory cafe, Arthur's memory cafe, with the Jiminy Wicket set, and we were able to play, and it was so much fun. And it's it's an adaptable croquet, so um, you know even if someone's in a wheelchair, they can still play. You can play it inside, you can play it outside. But the unique thing through Hoops for Hope is that it's an intergenerational game. Um, he has started this in high schools and colleges and it and um, merged it with senior communities and it's been um, developed and delivered um, proof in the concept uh, of itself um, because he's done it in over a hundred schools and colleges coast to coast across the country and um, he's also performed this in 10 schools in the UK and five in Australia. And what they have found is that there's just this great, great connection with uh, with the person with dementia uh, playing croquet with this intergenerational team. And so it's been, it's been pretty fascinating. He's actually going to be launching um, the expansion of his program, and he's going to kick that off with the Jiminy Wicket World Cup at Rockefeller Center in New York City on Friday, September 20th from 7 a.m. to 11. And he would love uh, he would love for you to come out and, and play with him and his crew. Um, and I look, it's looking like James isn't going to be able to make the show today. So 
I think what I'm going to go ahead and do is sign off, and we will just reschedule so that he's able to come and really talk about his program because it is absolutely brilliant. But I do recommend that uh, you go to his site and check it out. And if you haven't already, JiminyWicket.com. And um, he's got some great videos, so you'll be able to see exactly what it's all about and go from there. Again, I want to remind you all that if you're looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, you can work with Alzheimer's Disease International. They are the organization of organizations. And um, if you're looking for a trial, the Tau trial, uh, you can go to alzheimerstudies.com and find out more information on that clinical trial. And again, if you want to join the Purple Angel Project, um, just look them up online or you can go to my website too and get look. Uh, you can find them. Um, but it's a great global symbol that will cut out the confusion that so many of us have with this disease. Um, until next time, which will be the 20th, we will talk to you soon. Have a blessed week and enjoy your day. Bye now. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.